Miss Macintosh, my darling, chapter 48, part one. Perhaps Mr. Spitzer was the last of many messengers in the world of the dead, coming too late. Perhaps he was the first. Nonetheless, he must perform the duties of his office there in that old house, which rustled with dim opalescence of wings like pigeon coat, whispers only he could hear, his ear roaring, for he was in his own employment and doubtless would have practiced law if there had been no court of gold and silver flagstones, moonstones burning with fires within, or if every possible musical litigation had been settled. There was neither theme nor counter-theme nor counter-counter-theme, no living counterpart, not a musical chessman moving through the tide, not a glassy cricket's cry in a stone chimney. There was not a whisper under the rotting eaves, not the silence splashed into the silence like a pebble in a whirlpool. If every argument had been solved, if love cried not to love when life is over, silence cried not to silence. If not a star had creaked and if not a pebble had rolled, if not a snowflake fell into a dark abyss, if every quarrel had been finished like an echo no longer reproducing itself, and far worse if the echo was inaccurate, being not the music of its source or if the source was forgotten, how often he had noted black notes which were missing from the score, leaving him with a sense of ineffable vacancy like octaves heard in sleep but forgot when he awakened, yet haunting him with their lost meaning until he could say, Ah, I almost see the meaning of this lost music, just when the meaning faded like the music. Perhaps the greatest music was that which had no meaning, and sometimes an engraver had added a black spot to his scale to confuse future music musicians in that great day when his music should be heard where they should play that which had been intended as a punctuation mark and not a sound. He feared that upon that day all the notes should be those which had been added by the great engraver, that his own music of sudden trebles, trills, and crying had disappeared, but who should play that note below the threshold of sound, or ringing far above? There were so many papers still to go through, some not marked, old calling cards, some which were blank, bearing no name, neither his signature nor his clef, but scraps of paper like shining tinsel which Mr. Spitzer had left no doubt long ago, when he had called at what he had supposed to be an empty house, or which had been left by the long-whiskered pack-rat in the trembling starlight, or certainly he had taken something away, and so many boxes, trunks, to open in the attic under the funneled stars and a dark cloud burning into a thin haze of smoke, and casting pale gleamings upon broken star-shaped skylight through which the rain poured and the snowflakes, snowflakes fell, and in the basement properties to dispose of, some not worth carting away, die reindeer heads in a long, dark hallway, staring into cold-framed oval mirrors like those in clouds. Antlers which had shaken star beams, those great antlers like tree branches at the edge of a world of snow, tree branches which should suddenly rush away as in a roaring wind, those great antlers where should have been the faces of beautiful ladies, mirror images which had dissolved when the candle flames burned low like the low line of the stars in the fog, so many trophies of suffrage journeys and wars which were intended to release those in death's realm, those imprisoned by their cruel husbands and lords, those sleeping with their loves or not sleeping with their loves, for both should come to the same approximate end and forty keys with which to open forty trunks she had brought back from suffrage journeys and voyages through star rack and foam, keys which she had kept in bed with her that none might find her hiding place, nesting place, for even the wounded must seek a nesting place, keys which had jangled around her when she died, making a weird music like that of an inevitable event, jangling when she turned, among them all, no master key, and Mr. Spitzer's numb fingers, though those of an old musician whose errors were of great, greater beauty than the perfections of others, reminding him that a great violinist whose wrist shakes with palsy as his bow touches the strings is still greater than the mediocre violinist whose wrist, whose wrist shakes not.
and fumbled, as if he were asleep, as he experimented with various keys, various locks, and wished that there had been locksmith to open all locks, turn all keys at once, even to open floodgates. But there was no locksmith to betray this hermetical secret, and there might be one box more than forty boxes, and perhaps that was what was required was an aerosmith to make that arrow which should reach this heart, dead heart, Mr. Spitzer thought, smiling sadly in the darkness, where there was no one to see his face. Surely he could not see it unless in a mirror lined with the moon's rain-washed gold, and only then one large, shining eye which might not be his, for his face was blotted out by the moving shadows, for the lights had gone out, perhaps with the last thunderstorm flashing green and rose and gold, perhaps not so much gold as a gold emotion, that which was the mere feeling of gold lightning, lighting in the dark clouds. That which was the mere feeling of gold lighting the dark clouds. The moon was fading as the dawn approached. What sadder than the moonlight, where there was no moon, no other orb? What sadder than the moon? What sadder than that the moon should forever fade, that the moon should rise not again, lighting the twilight? This seemed a greater loss to Mr. Spitzer than that there should be no sun lighting at the blurred dawn. Or what could be sadder than to be born after the moon set and to die before the moon arose? And thus one would never know the moon, or would know the moon only as one knew the unknown, before one knew the known. It would know the unknown after one knew not the known. There was moonlight touching his cape, his fringed shawl, fringes of his ecstasy, his hand, which was a starfish. But he had not trusted moonlight or any star. He had brushed against the dust of alien plants as against lantern flowers when he was crossing distant meadows. Perhaps he had carried pollen from a dead star to a dead star, but he was in the darkness. So he had had to light matches to find his way through wavering darkness, and he was amazed by his preternatural courage. He had always been afraid to light matches, afraid that he might set himself on fire, afraid of sudden burning, crackling, hissing, for he was like dried wood and highly inflammable, and afraid of sudden incandescence, afraid of burning, afraid that if he burned, then he would extinguish himself, go out like a spark under a wave. Indeed, had preferred the watery places and the clouds like wet cloths wrapped around the moon, the clouds shrouding that dead face. And it was he who had groped his way through darkness as through light, through light as through darkness, scarcely able to tell the difference between them, for perhaps there was no distinction, whereas his brother, careless of Mr. Spitzer's fear, had burned like the brightest star burning in the wind, had burned like the thistle stars hanging low in clouds, had burned like a tree breaking into fire as if a star had touched the tinder of this earth, had burned like a tree of fireflies, had burned like a fallen star, had burned at the water's rippling edge, was always lighting matches, even in the pale sunlight, no light being enough for him had burned like the dark spruce tree breaking into fire in a thunderstorm, giving off thousands of sparks, had burned like bees in sunlight, and no doubt had gone through the door of the sun as Mr. Spitzer had gone through the door of the moon, the moon in the cloud, the moon in the water. Did the pearl know it was the pearl, or did the moon know it was the moon winding its sennacrius walls around the sleeping flame, winding around the winding pearl, which enclosed the fisherman sleeping in his long-sailed sloop, the wing of a white bird, who should enjoy complete self-consciousness unless he should be dead? And would it then be possible, for did not one die into all things even as one loved? And so was it possible as that which was complete and final and absolute? It was Mr. Spitzer who had always groped, stumbling against the obvious, as if it were the shadow, blinded by the light. It was Perone, bright Perone, who had lighted match after match and had left a sulfurous trail of burned out or burning matches in his wake, no matter where he went. 
lighting his matches where were blowing draperies, much as if long before his apparent suicide he had tempted fate in many ways, of which he was unconscious even in his brightest moments, showing as Mr. Spitzer could feel with a match spark burning in his waxen hand that he was capable of killing himself, though perhaps by accident, perhaps because of a sudden gust of wind blowing out the stars, whereas if Mr. Spitzer should ever kill himself, it would be by slow, deliberate intention, the most exquisite, and after he had consulted his broken watch at patterns of sand-blurred sandpipers, like spots running upon a windy shore, and after he considered every impossible possibility, after he had looked forward to an impossible future and backward upon an impossible past, he was always posting, trotting, gating, cantering, pacing, racking, running, single-footing, slowing his music to a walk so that he would be prepared for all eventualities. Whatever happened, there had been a certain forethought in the most unexpected event so that, so that it would be impossible to happen unless he had somehow lived through it before or had a premonition which had warned him, much like the effect perceiving the cause, even like the whisper perceiving the voice or the sob perceiving the whisper, or perhaps like music out of place, the transposition of a phrase, music transposed to a dark shore, that of the rolling silence where no crying was, perhaps this shore, and he felt this now, no matter where he went or what he was doing, that nothing could take him totally by surprise. All things which happened happened twice to him, and had he not always said, as his death would happen twice, perhaps also his love. Or perhaps his love would be that one continuum not broken by death's void, being that of which no distinction of content or image could be stated, except by reference to something else. Often he reminded himself of a traveler who had passed through a city in the night before he knew that he had passed it and by that time he was looking forward to it again, perhaps to be passed once again in darkness. Perhaps his love could, would come not only before, but after his death. Perhaps this was already so, he having already died. Perhaps he lived through things happening as through things happening not, the lost possibilities which were never realized, perhaps not even sensed. And yet what more potent than the impotent lost? He felt this whenever a leaf fell in the wind or did not fall when an icicle broke or did not break, when a snowflake melted or did not melt, when a pebble rolled before the dark tide fringed by light, when someone coughed in a dark street or did not cough, when bridge music quivered like the harp, when he heard his own musical coughing in the darkness awakening him from his dreams, for even his coughing was arranged in a pattern of music shaking him from head to foot. In fact, under all possible circumstances, and some which were impossible, he felt this if he heard a whisper or no whisper, if a bell rang or did not ring, if a cloud burst or did not burst, casting dim radiance upon the shadow. He felt all these little deaths which were like love, or little chances such as his brother might have taken, chances that one lived when one was dead, wakened only when asleep, chances that one's day of life was less than the night, the night's darkness. And when should one take the grand chance, or was there no such chance, as Mr. Spitzer sorrowfully asked? He felt this slow dawning as to his own extinction, that it was something always being prepared for, much like something which had already taken place, but was only by slow degrees consciously recognized, perhaps with many altering impressions, many qualifications, hesitations, dubities, increasing almost like another love or a large body of doubt, and perhaps this was another reality, as if, though one had lived with one's love for years, it was many years before one recognized that long ago his love had died, or that she had betrayed him, loving some other love, an image so like his own, yet stealing in to take his place. Or he himself had died as his love she did not recognize, or both had died and yet lived on in memory, 
each assuming that the other was the ghost, perhaps both recognizing that they were the ghosts, the ghosts of their old loves, that even the leaves falling and the stars twittering were ghostly as were all things. Frogs croak, the splash of the water, the flames whisper, the crickets cry, that all were secondary because of this dead love, and thus that through all these years he had lived as with a stranger, gradually acquired an intimacy amounted almost to insight. Perhaps there was a greater knowledge than one enjoyed of one's love, that love so early fading, so brief in time, that it might almost be said to be timeless, though casting its light of gold upon this darkness, that perhaps one knew the stranger in the end better than one knew one's love, dead love not awakening. And so one was loyal to this mistaken love as Mr. Spitzer was, allowing his compassion to extend through all the hazards of disappointment, as if there were no other way, no other star but this dark hedge grove, star fading before fading before the impearled dawn. Perhaps as he saw the butterfly spark burning in his hand, lighting his brother's rainbow-streaked eye, where but a moment before he had seen his own eye in a dark mirror, seemed to point the way with which Perron had gone, taking all the charm of life with him, so that Mr. Spitzer felt suddenly as if he were rehearsing for the grand exit, out, out of this life, if only he could find the exit of that old, high-shouldered house, which was between two shadowy, ivy-covered water towers, on which it seemed to him in the darkness was made of perhaps nothing but windows and doors, doors and windows of old houses, which were already demolished, and yet where was the exit? The exit could not be the entrance, surely, surely he had passed beyond the threshold. He had just arrived, and how must he go? Depart? Depart? Ah, but his heart was dead. Could he not penetrate to the dim interior, and like Stanley, find his Livingston somewhere in this nocturnal jungle of strange beasts and birds and flowers? It would not Livingston say, Mr. Spitzer, I presume. He had known how to get into the house, so why could he not know, by the same token like a magical amulet, how to get out of the house? For was there not even a club-shaped keyhole as in a euchre, a hole in a star, a broken window, a window or door which was not barred, or a crack under a warped door such as that through which the starlight seeped or the bat went out with its umbrella wings flattened, as if it followed the light, a transom, a glass flue, a chin blown sparks, a crevice of some kind, an abyss? Did the house expand, or was it shrinking? Was it small as a peapod? Or must the hourglass of his heart be ever reversed, and must he live twice, and if so, must he die twice, perhaps once in non-retentive memory? Must the poles be reversed? Who had blown this bellows, raising this cold spark, this cold spark blowing to ashen-colored heavens, where crawled the beetle stars as through crystal dust? And where, and were there differences now, slight but inestimable, estimable, between what was and what had been before? Or was that missing, which was perhaps the infinitely small, infinitely divisible, perhaps the sand grain missing, with its pearl star, which, which was its winding sarcophagus, perhaps a fluttering star missing? perhaps himself omitted from that seepage of sands and stars drifting downward through the bands of clouds, through clouds of eyewitnesses like migratory birds or desert caravans under old fringes. He had navigated himself blindly into mirrors as into clouds, distinguishing not between glass and clouds, windows and doors, clouds and glass, doors and windows, and he had come upon sealed rooms he had not known existed in the light, perhaps rooms like mirrors opening into mirrors, doors leading to, to doors, just as there were many stairways leading to stairways, perhaps always the same stairway, same old winter trap catching little shells, bell barnacles, goose barnacles, boats, though they were in a long dry dock, and there were many obstacles, many divans which seemed to drift before him as he passed through great doors and little doors, 
any doors open and closing, perhaps far away from him. He had hoped when he passed with his blurred light before a trembling window, scarcely gilded by the remnant light of the waning moon, sickle moon like a golden feather slowly wafted through a many-layered cloud as he paced back and forth as slowly as if he walked under miles of water, as some old, wa old watchman passing in the street outside his window, casting his coffin shadow upon the glass or cloud of Mr. Spitzer could see, coffin shadow with one star faintly burning, or shadow like some old door over which there hung a fan light to light the wanderer home, albeit a door which would never open to anybody's knocking, tapping, scratching, or perhaps it was a window light, a light in a window walked by a dead sea, a light like the wingless female glowworm burning for the winged male who had no light, or a pilot lamp with one light forever burning, perhaps the pilot star when there was no pilot, for a ship had gone down, had hoped that the old watchman going his lonely way through jumbled streets would not think there was a thief in his old house, which had seldom been entered when anyone was alive. House which had been empty for so many years that Mr. Spitzer's light might, of course, attract attention from the watchman in the street, or some distant wayfarer muffled under his great fringed tapestry shawl as he passed upon a darkening road to places where there were perhaps no stars, no nebula flung like glittering dust upon the dark clouds, and that there had been no tangible treasure which would justify entrance and theft, for all had already been taken away, and Mr. Spitzer, acting in his self-appointed legal office, was but this unemployed lawyer who had come to make a last account, tentative as all things must be, to sum up all which had been missing, all which had never been, to open old boxes, close old doors, leaning upon the rusted hinges and rain and snow, doors of the old mosques or tents like the tents of Arabs or old cocoons, rattle old dice cup cups like withered flowers, pods without dice, lock that which he could not open, open that which he could not close, and thus was very busy. Certainly no man ever being so busy as he with his precarious leisure, which knew no end since his retirement, he sometimes reminded himself of a flag signal signalman upon an oval where no horses ran like the long-haired golden planets running through the clouds, flashing their diamond hooves or their reflections like other worlds. He sometimes reminded himself of a customs officer in an empty port, no ships coming past his lighthouse cast in its pale star beam, although he counted contraband luggage. Sheeted clouds unfurling like bolts of silk rippling to the moon upon the moving waters, rippling at the hem, dim jewels and empty caskets, jewels which had lain long in the sea, those which were already diffused. For here was surely no jewel, no jewel dimly burning, unless it was the water-freighted jewel of consciousness, burning but one moment before it went out, or burning but one moment after it went out. <laughs>